law, commandments, teaching, instruction, admonitions, prohibitions, thou shalt, thou shalt not. When we hear these things, if you're like me anyways, we kind of recoil a little bit. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is his proclamation of God's law, but in saying that, we endanger a certain attitude, or we engender a certain attitude towards his teaching. Because in our day and age, when we think of commandments, when we think of laws, when we think of rules, when we think of just decrees, we don't think the way that the psalmist does. The longest book in the Bible is a praise song, or the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It's a song of praise to the law of God. And if you ever have a chance, it takes, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to get through the whole chapter, you'll find a certain kind of repetition to that psalm. Again and again and again and again and again, the psalmist praises the Lord for his rules for his instruction, for his teaching, for his just decrees, for his law. Again and again, the psalmist sings out in praise of these things, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And I don't think it's just a modern thing, but certainly in our modern age, we hear that and we think, how could this possibly be? (laughs) Law is good? Commandments are good? Prohibitions are good? Someone telling me what to do? We have a hard time with this, don't we? The spirit of our age is one of antinomianism. Now, that's a big word. That's a $10 word, but here's what it means. It means opposition to law, anti, against, nomos, the Greek word for law. We are all in our hearts antinomians, and it's not just a modern thing, although it's certainly prevalent in our age. It is a fallen human thing. Since Eve ate the apple and gave it to Adam and he willingly ate along with her, we all stand as little antinomians. Each of us wants to be the one who says what I shall do and what I shall not do. Each of us wants to do whatever he wants and each wants to sit in judgment over the commandments and the rules and say to each of the rules, this one's a good one, I'll do it, but that one No thanks. Sure, I can understand the rationale behind that law, so I'll follow it, but this one, well, it's kind of inconvenient, and so I'm not going to do that one. Each of us would like to elevate ourselves to be the authority. When it comes to the rules, to the commandments, to the laws, to what it is to be a good human being, each of us would like to be the final authority, to be the lawgiver, to be the teacher, to be the instructor, to be the one who gives the prohibitions and the one who admonishes. We'd rather not be on the receiving end, or if we are, if we are on the receiving end of these things, we have kind of a take-it-or-leave-it mentality. You know how that goes? I'll take half the commandments, and I'll leave the other half behind, although it's really not so much half and half. It's much more the leaving than it is the taking that we prefer. It's kind of like, you know what it's like? Um, it's like there's this, there's this kid's place. I'm not going to say its name, but it's a party place, and there's a rodent on the sign. And uh, the, the kind of, their advertising campaign goes something like this. Um, it either says, no rules, just right, or it says, where kids make the rules. You know the place I'm talking about? If you've ever been in that rodent-run place, you know that lots of people like to have parties there. 
And everyone, when they leave the party, feels miserable. Because when you're in that little rodent place where the kids make the rules, it's chaos. It's madness. And everyone thinks they're having a great time until they leave, and then everybody realizes the last three hours of my life have been chaos. They've been confusion. See, we're in a place where there is no law, in a place where the kids make the rules, and we don't have any authorities, there will be a rule. It just won't be a good one. Without God's law, without God's instruction, without God's prohibition and admonition, there will not be peace on earth. It will be Chuck E. Cheese world. And no one wants to live in that. The pizza's not even all that good, by the way. Against such thinking, against such folly, the Lord thundered long ago. I, the Lord your God, who set you free from bondage, I will tell you what is good. And our Lord Jesus, when he came, he spoke with that same authority. He who spoke on the top of Sinai's height also insists, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You heard it said of old, Jesus says, but now I'm telling you. Jesus takes the wheel. Jesus takes the authority to himself, and he doesn't shy away from rules. He doesn't shy away from admonitions. He doesn't say, here you go, take it or leave it. Here's some advice. No, Jesus just speaks clearly, straightly, right to the heart of things. And when Jesus speaks, he proclaims the goodness of God's law. I want you to remember that this morning because it is so opposite to how we usually think about laws and rules and commandments. And if we don't get this straight, then we're going to hear Jesus' teaching, we're going to hear God's law as some kind of oppressive force, you know, like kids in Chuck E. Cheese. Well, mom and dad tell me that I can't do these things, but I really want to go and do them. The Lord speaks in his law not to hold you back but to show you what is good. He set his people free from the bondage in Egypt so that they might be brought out into freedom. And that freedom, that freedom is not chaos. That freedom is not Chuck E. Cheese world. That freedom, that freedom has a form. You heard the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament reading. And when you hear those Ten Commandments, what I want you to hear there is the goodness of God's law. We often use these three analogies for what God's law does for us. And if you've heard this before, good. It's worth hearing again. God's law works like a curb, we say, like a mirror and like a guide. And so ask yourself this morning, if you're sitting there saying, well, how could rules be good? Well, ask yourself how a curb is good. Don't you think curbs are good? Sure, they might get in the way. There's one right out here on the corner. When you leave church this morning, you'll see it's been hit so many times that it might be gone, right? But that curb serves a good purpose. That curb is there so that when you go off course in your car, when you're texting as you're driving, like you all do, you'll hit the curb and correct course. That curb serves a good purpose, even if it's inconvenient. That curb serves a good purpose, even if it makes a loud noise. That That curb serves a good purpose to keep you on the road so that you don't run into something else. Curbs are good, and God's law is good this way. It serves as a curb in the world so that when we go off course, when we're distracted by all kinds of things and we veer this way and we veer that way, we hit something before we crash our lives completely. Curbs are good, and God's law 
is good. Secondly, God's law works like a mirror. It serves as a mirror, and mirrors are good, aren't they? Now, that doesn't mean we always like what we see in the mirror. (laughs) That doesn't mean that every morning when we wake up, we look forward to, I can't wait to look at myself in the mirror today. I just look so good all the time. The mirror shows us things that we might not like to see. It shows us that we don't look like we did 10 years ago. It shows us that we don't look perhaps like we wished we did. But we don't break the mirror. We don't junk the mirror. We don't throw it away and say, good riddance to you, mirror. I'll get something else that serves my purposes. No, we make the change here instead of there. And much like a mirror, God's law shows us When you look into the royal law, the epistle of James says, what do you see? When you look into God's law, thou shalt, thou shalt not, it's not always a pleasant picture, is it? But it is the real picture of who you are, not who you wish that you were, not even who you want others to see you as. No, when you hear God's word proclaimed, when you have the commandments, when you reflect on these things and honestly look into them, You're given a real picture of who you are. And that's good, isn't it? Because you don't want to run around in the world looking completely ridiculous and thinking how wonderful you look. You don't want to run around in the world saying, man, I've got it all together. Meanwhile, your shirt's backwards and inside out and your hair is all spiked up and your face is all screwed up. No, you want to actually have the true picture so that you might make changes. And when we're speaking of God's law, when we say change, we mean repent. The law works as a curb to keep us on course, and it works as a mirror to show us where we should repent. And thirdly, we, take, we say that God's law is like a guide. Now, I don't know how many of you like guides. Some of you are very independent people, and you like to go your own way. But having a guide is a really helpful thing, isn't it? Take going to a museum. When you go into a museum, you don't necessarily need the guide, do you? You can make your way through the art museum in St. Louis. It's free, so it's a good one to go to. You can make your way through there, and you'll see beautiful things here and beautiful things there, and you'll appreciate this and you'll appreciate that. But if you have the guide, you get the whole picture. If you have the guide showing you this, now pay attention here. Don't miss that. Make sure you see this here. Don't overlook that. You actually get the full picture. You don't miss things. Guides are good. And God's law as a guide is good because it shows you what the good life really is. See, we have this trouble that we think we know better than God. We have this trouble that we think that we can come up with what is really holy and what is really important to do and what really counts and what will really make a difference in the world. You often hear people talk this way, don't you? I want to make a difference in the world. I want to do something great. I want to do something wonderful. I want to change the world. Young people especially talk this way, right? And that impulse is a good thing. It's good to lead a life that matters. But the question is, Who gets to say what matters? Who gets to say what the good life looks like? If we're left to ourselves, we will devote ourselves to all kinds of causes. And you can see how people get so, so, so caught up in all kinds of things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Better. Better is to direct your life according to the guide. Better is to say, what does God say is good? How can I make a difference in the way that he would have me make a difference? Yes, make no mistake, dear friends, when Jesus thunders from 
the mount. When he speaks to us God's law, it is good, always good. It is a curb for our good, it is a mirror for our good, and it is a guide for our good. But all of that is just saying what the law does, what Christ's teaching does. We haven't yet looked at what he actually says. When we hear Jesus' teaching on the law of God, I also want you to think of it as a hedge, as something that protects what's really important. And you can think of it this way in your own life by thinking, what are those things in your life that you put the most protection around? There's lots of stuff in my garage that I don't care about at all. My kids care about it, but I don't care. It's made out of plastic. It's junk. I make no protection around that stuff. If it gets left out overnight, it gets left out overnight. If it disappears under the lawnmower, it disappears under the lawnmower, and it gets thrown away because I don't care about all that plastic stuff. They do, but I don't. But my children, now my children, I put some hedges around, right? Why do I care so much about my children, but not at all about plastic toys from China? Because one thing matters and one thing doesn't. When we hear Jesus teaching in his law this morning about reconciliation, about brothers being angry with brothers, and how he wants brothers and sisters to be together, what we're hearing is what he loves what he puts a hedge around, what our Lord Jesus wants to protect above all else. He does not put laws and rules around plastic toys, but he puts his law like a hedge around our brothers and sisters. Every law is a hedge around some good gift of God. And what you hear Jesus speaking of this morning is the gift of reconciliation. How easy that is to overlook, isn't it? We think about stuff. We think about things. We think about all the stuff that we can store up. That's the valuable stuff, right? But to Jesus, what is most valuable? What to Jesus, what he puts a hedge around are people. And so he speaks quite clearly, doesn't he, about anger, about insults, about hating your brother in your heart. Jesus equates that with killing him, with your thoughts, with your words, with your actions. You shall not kill. Why does he speak so forcefully about these things? Because Jesus has come to reconcile. Jesus has come first and foremost to reconcile you to your heavenly father, but he does not simply want that reconciliation to be vertical. No, he wants also there to be reconciliation among his disciples. Jesus would not have us live in bitter hostility to the people around us. Jesus would not have husbands and wives always on edge. Jesus would not have brothers and sisters living in anger with one another. Jesus would not have congregation members sitting in the pew and thinking, I don't want anything to do with that person. For Christ has come to reconcile. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Reconciliation, it's a mouthful, kind of like antinomianism. It might be a $15 word, okay? Reconciliation, to bring back together what has been torn apart. When we hear Christ's teaching in the law, it certainly serves as a curb. When we get angry, we should remember Christ's words, not to be angry. When we store up bitterness in our hearts, we should remember we're hitting the curb of Christ's law. And we should repent. We should look in that mirror and say, I have borne a grudge that I shouldn't. I have been angry where I shouldn't. I have 
born up hostility and resentment to people that I should not. For Christ wants us to be reconciled. He shed his blood that you may be reconciled to your father and that all the sins committed against you, which we harbor a grudge about, right? There's a reason why grudges exist, because people do sin against you. But Christ wants you to see that all of those sins have been paid for in the blood of his cross. Jesus puts that hedge around our brothers and sisters, the hedge of his law. And it's meant to be a curb, it's meant to be a mirror, it's meant to be a guide, because what he has come to do is to reconcile. Christ's teaching on God's law is not always what we want to hear. I don't know how many of you came this morning and thought, I'd really like to hear a a sermon on the law of God. I really want to hear the Ten Commandments, but oh, how we need it. Because the truth is, if we don't have God's law, we will substitute our own. If we take this attitude of uh, what I'm calling Chuck E. Cheese world, if we take some of God's rules and reject the other ones, we will establish, we will establish a world that is not a world of peace and love and joy. We will establish a world much like Egypt was for the Israelite. I, the Lord your God, am he who brought you out of Egypt, and I don't want you going back, so I'm giving you my rules. I'm giving you my commandments, not so that you can save yourself somehow. I've already saved you, but so that you would not return in your hearts to that life of slavery and bondage in Egypt. You heard it put this way in the epistle. You have been set free from the slavery to sin. How? Through the waters of holy baptism. In holy baptism, you have been joined to Christ Jesus. You have been crucified with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. And so as you have been crucified and buried with him in the sacrament of holy baptism, so now you are to rise with him. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now that almost sounds like imaginary thinking, right? But if we are imagining what God has actually done, we aren't plain pretend at all. So this morning, learn to reckon yourselves. Learn to consider yourselves. Learn to think of yourselves this way, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus so that we might follow his commandments, so that we might sing like the psalmist does in Psalm 119. Oh, how good are your commandments, O Lord. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.